The text for this morning's sermon is from that passage we read in John chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on verse 14. I'll be referencing the entire chapter, but verse 14 is our focus. There we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As far the reading of our text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you believe that God wants to be with you, you as an individual? Do you believe that God wants you to be in his presence, and to have fellowship with you, again, as an individual. Perhaps at times you might struggle to believe that. Maybe you are aware, too aware of your shortcomings and failures, and you might wonder, why would God want to be with me? Perhaps you also find it's hard to be accepted by others, and if people don't seem to want to be around me, you know, why, why would God? But, beloved, God does indeed want us to be with him. And that's what the coming of Christ into the world shows without a doubt. God is determined to have his people live with him in his very presence. That's, in fact, one of the main themes of the entire Bible. It starts at creation in the Garden of Eden, God living with his people. And it carries through all the way to the book of Revelation and the new Jerusalem. See that theme coming throughout the Bible. And we find this theme in our text this morning, too. Here it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us. And that's what Christmas is all about, as we celebrated Christmas yesterday. Um, it's about the Son of God coming to live with us. And he came to make this a reality, not just during the time he was on earth, but forever. To make it a reality forever. But there's also more. The Son of God came not only to make us live in God's presence, He also came to show us what God is truly like. See, the fall into sin corrupted our knowledge of God. The sinful mind does not know what God is truly like. In fact, the sinful mind twists the knowledge of God, and that's what Satan tries to do in our minds as well. He tries to twist the knowledge of God in our minds, in our hearts. But Christ came also to give us the clearest picture of who our God is. As it says in John 1 verse 18, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So that brings us also to the sermon theme, which is this. See the glory, grace, and truth of God's eternal Son who came to live among us. And we'll look at, first of all, his presence and glory And then, second, his grace and truth. 
Now, again, verse 14 begins with these words, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, what do those words mean? And who is this person called the word? Well, this is none other than the son of God. We hear him described in the first uh, few verses of John chapter 1. There There we read, in the beginning was the word. And this word, the Son of God, was there in the beginning. He was not created. He was just there. He was with God, it says. He was with God in the the beginning when God created the world. In other words, when God the Father created the world, the Son of God was there too. But he is more than just someone who was with God in the beginning The Word was with God, and the Word was God, it says. He is distinct from God the Father, but he is also of the same essence. As the Nicene Creed captures it nicely, Jesus Christ is God of God, light of light, true God of true God. He is of one substance with the Father. Now, why is the Son of God in John chapter 1, why is he called the Word? Seems like a strange title. Well, it could be that the Apostle John is using creation language. After all, when we read Genesis 1, it's through God speaking, God's word, that the world was made. Right? God spoke, and came, uh, things came into being through that word of God. And the title word, used to describe the Son in John chapter 1, might be used to emphasize the Son's role in creating the world. He was the means by which the Father created all things. As John 1 verse 3 says, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Listen now to the words of our text again. The word... That word that was described in verses 1, 2, and 3. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us. So that word that he was describing, the Son of God, who is true God, became flesh. Doesn't mean that God the Son stopped being God and became something else. No, but as the Athanasian Creed puts it, the Son of God did not, he did not transform his divinity into flesh. Rather, he took up his humanity into God. So just as soul and flesh are one man, so God and man are one in Christ. Right? This is the wonder of Christmas. The Son of God permanently united himself to a, a human nature. He united a human nature to himself. His human nature was not just a piece of clothing that he put on for a while, a sort of costume that he lived in for a time, only to take it off later. No, the eternal Son of God, who is true God, became flesh. He took upon himself our human nature for all eternity. He was committing it himself to it for the long run, forever. 
Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? The Son of God came to this earth to live here. Right? In, in Christ, God came to take up residence among humans. This is true God walking around on the earth in the person of Christ. God came to live among us, came to live among his people. And the interesting thing is that verse 14 could be translated a little differently, actually. We could translate verse 14 like this. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Tabernacled among us. And that's, of course, an allusion to the Old Testament tabernacle. And what was the purpose of the Old Testament tabernacle? Well, it was a tent for God to live in so that he could be with his redeemed people all the time. It was like a mobile home so that God could go with his people as they journeyed together to the promised land. And the tabernacle, it's also the high point of the book of Exodus. You, you might not think that to be the case at first. You know, when you think of the book of Exodus, what do we often think of? First of all, it's probably, think of Israel enslaved by Pharaoh. Think of um, Moses and the burning bush. We think of the ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, those things. But the real pinnacle is the construction of the tabernacle. That's the goal of the Exodus. And so much of the second half of, the, of that book focuses on this living space for God. That's the goal, that the tabernacle might be made so that God would live with his people. That's what he was after. But even more important than that Old Testament tabernacle is the coming of the Son of God in the flesh. Again, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God lived among His people in the Old Testament tabernacle. and God lived among His people again in a more glorious and intimate way in the person of Jesus Christ. And you know that when you... When you saw that Old Testament tabernacle, it looked largely unimpressive from the outside. Although it was skillfully made, at the end of the day, it was still a tent. And if you merely looked at that tabernacle with your eyes, you probably wouldn't guess it was the dwelling place of Almighty God on earth. But there were times when that became clear. Just think of when the tabernacle was finished at the end of the book of Exodus. There we read that the, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord. A signal that God had moved into this tent. He truly was living among his people. And it was the same with Christ. He looked largely unimpressive from the outside, Think of Isaiah 53. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And for the most part, he seemed to live an unimpressive life. Uh, he was a carpenter for most of his days. At first glance, you wouldn't think that 
this was God in the flesh. But there were times that this became crystal clear. Just as the presence of God in the Old Testament tabernacle became clear when the glory of the Lord filled it, so the presence of God in Jesus Christ became clear when His glory shone through. As John says in our text, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we have seen His glory. Not everyone saw it, but there were times where that glory just shone through, and it was crystal clear who Jesus Christ was. And this glory of the Son of God shone through in a number of ways. The first way Jesus' glory in the book of John shone through was through his, his signs, through his, his miracles. They served as a signs to the people that Jesus Christ was true God among them. Uh, true God had come to live among them. Just think of the first miracle Jesus did, turning the water into wine at the wedding feast. And after that miracle, John 2, verse 11 says, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. He saw who he was. But not everyone realized this, however. It took the eyes of faith to see Jesus for who he was. Uh, there were many occasions where people refused to believe, even though they did see his signs, his miracles. Think of the healing of the man blind, uh, born blind uh, in John 9. He realized that Jesus was the Son of God and had come from God. But many did not. The Pharisees did not, for example. They blinded their eyes to the glory of God. They refused to acknowledge it. In fact, despite as many signs, many of the Jewish people did not see Jesus for who he was. As we read in John 1, Christ came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. So that's the first way Jesus' divine glory shone through, by his miracles. But the book of John, it highlights one more way, an interesting way. Jesus' divine glory was also made known through his death on the cross. Now that might sound very strange. After all, Jesus died an extremely shameful and inglorious death on the cross. And yet the cross also showed his glory. And this is why. You see, God's glory is magnified by his wonderful works. And one way he does this is by showing us as people his unfathomable love for sinners. God is love, says 1 John. And he is glorified when that self-giving love is on full display. The love of God is shown especially in the giving of his son to die for us. As 1 John 4 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Right, the sacrifice that turns aside God's wrath from us. 
The Son of God displayed this same glory-gaining love of God by giving up His life for us. Enemies of God. He died for sinful people so that we who are God's enemies might be made God's children. And this gains glory for Christ, the greatest glory of all. We worship Him because of His love for us displayed on the cross. Christ says in John 12, when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, that is, when, when I'm crucified on the cross, I will draw all people to myself. Christ draws worshipers to himself by his sacrificial death. In fact, that's why we're here this morning. Christ has drawn us by his power, by his grace, through his sacrificial death on the cross. That's how his divine glory is revealed, through his selfless love. Now, after he had died and rose again, then he re- Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. But the disciple Thomas, he doubted that Christ had truly risen. And then when Jesus appeared to Thomas later on, Jesus, or sorry, Thomas stuck his fingers into Jesus' pierced hands. He knew it was his Lord, and he exclaimed, My Lord and my God. His eyes were open to see who Jesus truly was. His, his Lord, his, his God. But see your glorious Savior too, beloved, and worship him. That brings us to our second point. Now, our our text goes on. John writes, We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the Greek text is not entirely clear whether the words full of grace and truth refer primarily to the word glory or to the words the only Son from the Father. could refer to either. So if it refers to the Son, then it means that the Son is full of grace and truth. If it refers to glory, then it means his glory is is full of grace and truth. In the end, however, it doesn't make much difference. Uh, And either way, there's more Old Testament background coming through here. We have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this Old Testament background, again, it, it reaches back into the book of Exodus. Uh, in Exodus 32, the Israelites, they had sinned by making and worshiping the golden calf. And again, in response, God was angry enough to destroy his people. However, Moses being with the Lord on Mount Sinai at the time, he interceded for Israel. And through that intercession, that disaster on Israel was averted. And then shortly after this, Moses asked the Lord, please show me your glory. A bold request from Moses, saying to God, show me your glory, asking God to reveal his glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. While my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. 
Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And then when the Lord passed by Moses, the Lord proclaimed his name, saying, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So what do we see here in this passage from the book of Exodus with God revealing his glory? We see that God's glory and goodness were were revealed to Moses in his name, in his person. Right, this name, Yahweh, or I am who I am, it's all about God's character, who he is. God was revealing himself to Moses. And his glory, his goodness, emitted from his, his being, who he is as God, a God a merciful and gracious, full of steadfast love and faithfulness. That is his glory being revealed. And that's exactly what we have also in our text with Jesus Christ. God was revealing himself in the person of Jesus Christ. His character, who he is. We have seen his glory, says John. Much like Moses did of God on Mount Sinai, as Moses saw the glory of God in the revelation of God's being. So John is saying, we have seen God's glory in the person of Christ because God has revealed who he is in Christ. He's full of grace and truth, as the Lord was full of grace and truth as he proclaimed to Moses. Christ's glory is the same glory as Yahweh. Full of grace and truth, the same steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord that he proclaimed to Moses is revealed in Jesus Christ. And that's because God's Son is Yahweh. They are one. And the Son of God came to reveal God to us. Just as Moses saw the glory of God as God revealed himself on Mount Sinai, so John and his fellow disciples. They saw that same glory of God in the person of Christ. And by the Holy Spirit, John wrote down this gospel so that we too might see God's glory in Christ. Just as Moses did on Mount Sinai as God revealed his character, his name, we have seen it even more fully in Jesus Christ, God's Son, full of grace and truth. You know, in Exodus 33, God had every right to consume the Israelites for their sin with the golden calf. But instead of destroying his people, he listened to Moses' intercession and he graciously forgave his people. And that was to his glory. And he was this forgiving God. And this is the grace of God in Christ also. Think of, uh, to us, I think of John chapter 3. God gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? The same forgiving grace of God displayed to us in Jesus Christ. God gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
Think of John 4 and the Samaritan woman. She had committed repeated adultery, and Jesus revealed himself as the Christ to her, through whom she had forgiveness, through whom she had eternal life. The same forgiving grace, steadfast love of the Lord displayed to her through Christ. Think of John 10, where Jesus speaks of himself as a good shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Steadfast love of the Lord for his people, forgiving them their sins. This is the same forgiving grace God has shown us. We are by nature lovers of darkness, the darkness of sin. And God would have every right to consume us as he had the right to consume the Israelites after the golden calf. But Christ in his death on the cross took that wrath upon himself, removing it from us that we might be forgiven fully. And this is for God's glory. That we might see and understand that he is the merciful and gracious God, full of steadfast love and faithfulness in Christ. God's glory is full, or Christ's glory is full of truth and faithfulness also. It's full of truth. Jesus Christ spoke the truth no matter what. Lived the truth, embodied the truth. John 1 verse 9 calls him the true light. In John 6, he called himself the true bread that came down from heaven. John 15, he calls himself the true vine. He was full of grace and truth. Verse 16 says, From his fullness we received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean the covenant God made with Israel was devoid of grace, far from it. We have received grace upon grace. That is, there was grace in the Old Testament, but... God's grace is made especially manifest through Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Sadly, however, many of the Jews did not believe in him. As we read, the Son of God came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. May we never make that mistake. May we take heed to believe in Jesus Christ so that we might find life and forgiveness in his name. As John 1 verse 12 proclaims, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can know that you are really and truly a child of God. And for the children of God, remember that a glorious future awaits. What is one of the goals of God? He wants to live with his people. Have them in his presence. He proved that by sending his son the first time. And if you believe in Christ, you will indeed one day live with God. You will live with him forever. Revelation 21 describes that glorious future for us. There the Apostle John describes the new Jerusalem with these words, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, 
and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. One day we will be there. In fact, John 20, or sorry, Revelation 21 suggests that in some way we will live in God. God is the temple. And when we are there, then we will rejoice in the glory of God forever. Amen. Let's respond to the preaching of God's word by singing hymn 19, stanzas 1 and 3. <laughs>